0: As we continue this morning in our venture here into the Gospel of Luke, we're still in the first chapter, and we want to atturn, uh, turn our attention this morning to Mary's song. We read this morning from uh, Second, uh, um, from the uh, First uh, Samuel, the second chapter, there Hannah's song, which uh, Mary's song is clearly patterned after. It is a praise, uh, it's a psalm of praise raised in the joy of her realization that the promised messianic kingdom was about to become a reality. Hannah touched upon that as she closed her song, and Mary rejoices in that same thing. This psalm, it's a, it is a psalm, a song of praise has been traditionally referred to as the Magnificat. Magnificat comes from the Latin, Magnificat, Anami, Mia, Dominum, which means, as the first letters of her psalm, my soul magnifies the Lord. The late Dr. G. Campbell Morgan called the passage, Mary's todayum, which is also from late Latin, today I'm meaning, today I'm laudamus, which means you, God, we praise. Yes, it is a psalm of praise to God. And nearly every phrase of this psalm is taken from some portion of the Old Testament. And Mary's use of these scattered biblical references indicate that she was well versed in the scriptures. So well versed, in fact, that she wove them together into her own song, patterned, as I've already stated, after Hannah's song there in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The song is Mary's response to Elizabeth's poetic greeting. If you'll recall the story, the angel Gabriel visited uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and announced to them that uh, Elizabeth would have a son. Zechariah doubted. So the Lord said, you're not going to speak now until that boy is born. But then Gabriel went to uh, Nazareth there and spoke to this virgin called Mary and announced to her That she was to bear the one that Zacharias' son would be the forerunner to announce. The Lord Jesus Christ. And after his announcement to Mary, Mary went to see Elizabeth. Who was six months along in her pregnancy at that time. And uh, she came into the house and was greeted by Elizabeth. There we saw this in Luke Chapter 1, verses 42 to 45. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary, or Elizabeth cried out to Mary as she entered the house. Elizabeth here called her blessed for two reasons. First of all, because of Mary's great honor. This young virgin was granted to be the mother of her Lord. Lord. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And secondly, because of Mary's faith. And blessed is she who believed, unlike her husband, (laughs) Zechariah, Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. However, and here's a i want to stress something that caution is required our natural tendency is to focus on the people involved and how they react to the honor that the lord bestows upon them and a careful reading of this text will show that the lord and his promised king and kingdom are the true focus And that the Lord honored them by including them in that purpose. The angel had declared to Mary concerning her son that he would be great and will be called the son of the highest, of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of, notice, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, ever in his, and of his kingdom there would be no end. That's Luke 1, 32 and 33. The tendency here of contemporary Christianity is to put the believer on a sort of personal pedestal of honor. That his salvation has suddenly transformed him into something that God delights in, and he does. But the that's really not the vocus. As if God elevates the believer. But it is not about you. It's not about you. And even though you may have an important role in this divine purpose, it's not about you. You are saved to serve King Jesus in his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33 A selfless devotion to God's purpose is what gives fullness and satisfaction to a believer. Not the fact that he got, that I'm saved. And the Lord loves me. And the Lord cares for me. And the Lord looks out for me. And it's me, me, me. Uh-uh. As Paul strongly put it there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Mary did indeed have faith in the Lord, or as Matthew Henry describes it, her complacency in the Lord. I like that. We, we look at complacency as sort of a negative thing, but it... It simply means to fully rest in, to have no concern. She she had a loving and trusting rest upon the promises that God had made. And Elizabeth reaffirmed this in her prophetic utterance there in verse forty five. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary's an instrument. She's carrying in her womb the Lord Jesus Christ. She will give birth to that son. He will be raised and he will live out the life which God had given to him, rejected, put on a cross to suffer for the sins of his people, to die. He gave up his life. He was not killed. He gave up his life. And then he was resurrected on the third day and ascended right into the very throne of God to sit at his right hand where he now rules and reigns until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Yes, there will be a performance of those things which you were told from the Lord. So the lesson of this passage is that we too have to learn to live on this promise of future grace. What I want you to see this morning is that this song of Mary's is divided into two movements, as it were. First, the reflection of her own experience, and then the celebration of God's redemptive work through it. So first of all, note Mary's pure worship here. This is pure worship. Oh, that we may learn to worship the Lord in purity. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And as Hannah sang, my heart exults in the Lord. My heart that's equal to the soul my horn that's equal to the spirit is exalted in the lord see the similarity psalm 34 2 boasts my soul makes its boast in the lord you make your boast in the lord is everything centered around him See, observe here that Mary used different terms in her praise. Her soul magnified and her spirit rejoiced. Many argue that they are synonyms, meaning the same thing. It is true to a point, but I would argue that there is a, there is a difference. They both refer to creature life, but they refer to two distinct things. The soul is that life that animates us it is our awareness of our existence our ability to think and function in the world to operate it's a lot has to do with the mind and here is that's the issue here When God created Adam, we read that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. A nefesh. The Hebrew word here for soul or creature life. Genesis 2 verse 7. We breathe. Aren't you glad? Are you breathing this morning? If you're breathing, you're alive. If you're not breathing, we'll have a funeral. <laughs> breathing, that's creature life that's in us. And it c- creates that awareness. And it, and it enables us to be able to function. And we function by, by reasoning and thinking and, and acting and uh, making choices and so on and so forth but we read here of Adam that he sinned and yet his creature life continued and this was kind of puzzling it's a little bit puzzling i think satan understood something of this about the penalty for the disobedience and that's that uh, that something that adam, even adam did not know and so he lied to Eve. And actually, he didn't really lie to her. He told her, you will not surely die. Now, he lied in the fact that, she, that uh, ultimately she wouldn't die. But uh, she didn't immediately die. Neither did Adam. And so, in a sense, Satan didn't tell the truth here. They didn't die immediately. But they would now experience shortened creature life. And and the soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And even though pre-flood people lived a long time, in Adam's case there, eight hundred years. Wouldn't you like to live eight hundred years? <laughs> that that'd be interesting. 800 years. Or Methuselah, nearly a thousand years. Wow. But uh, even though they did live a long time, with the exception of Enoch, whom God took to glory, he was not, for God took him. We read. We read here in Genesis chapter 5, and he died. Seven times in additional verses in that chapter we read and he died and he died so and so lived and had children and lived so long after he had children and then he died and he died and he died and so it is appointed unto men once to die and after that comes judgment hebrews 9 and verse 27 that's soul life in fact we're told there in 1 Corinthians, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The, The word natural man in that passage is "soukikos," soulish. The man who only possesses soul life cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. He he thinks they're foolishness and he is unable to know them because his spirit is dead. That's what died in Adam. His spirit life. So he hid himself in the garden from God. And we continue to hide ourselves from God because of this issue. So... That brings us to this. What is spirit? It's the Greek pneuma. Pneuma. And how is it different from soul, nephesh? Mary understood that God was her Savior with respect to her spirit. She's a true believer. A God-fearer. Note there, verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him. And who fears Him but those in whom God works His work of grace? For nobody fears the Lord, except the Lord works that grace in Him. And then His mercy is for those who fear Him. However, she approached salvation from an old covenant perspective. And that's what we need to understand. As noted there by Gabriel's declaration that he would be given, this son of hers, would be given the throne of his father, David. Now think about that. She's not thinking about a personal salvation like we in our modern evangelical realm think. She's thinking of of the salvation of a people group. A culture. Her son is going to be the king who sits upon the throne of David and, under, and the Jewish understanding of the Messiah was that he would rule and reign, throw down the Gentile enemies, establish Jerusalem as the capital of the world, and then sit upon that throne and rule all the nations with a rod of iron, according to Psalm 2. That was her idea of salvation. Deliverance. The same kind of, of conception that uh, the, the, the Jewish people had of their of their bring being brought out of Egypt as a nation. We heard a little bit about that this morning. And this is was in, in the anticipation that was also revealed to Daniel that the Son of Man would be given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him as dominion, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. Daniel seven thirteen and 14. Now here's the interesting part. This fact is often missed in the reading of Old Testament, is that salvation or deliverance was not really considered spiritual. It was a deliverance from enemies, from danger, from oppression, from harm. Note David's prayer in 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 to 4. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold and my refuge my savior you save me from violence i called i call upon the lord who is worthy to be praised and i am saved from my enemies huh or again in hosea 13 verse 4 but i am the lord your god from the land of egypt I'm the Deliverer. I'm the one who delivered you out of Egyptian bondage. You, and uh, he says, you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Ah, but here is where the New Covenant clarifies and consummates the glorious promises of salvation and deliverance promised in the Old Covenant. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has enabled the new birth, the new birth of repentant sinners, who then take, uh, then partake of the new covenant blessing of spiritual rebirth, as prom- as prophesied in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit will I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone. From your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and to be careful to obey my rules, deliverance from disobedience and sin. That's Ezekiel thirty six, twenty-six and twenty-seven. Thus Jesus told Nicodemus, unless and here's here here's here's one of the Jewish elders looking for that kingdom, looking for that Messiah. And they're wondering about Jesus. And so he comes to him by night to ask him about it. And uh, Jesus says to him right up before he can, I think, got a word out of his mouth. Jesus said to him, except him, you are one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You think you're part of the kingdom of God? I have sad news for you, brother. If except you're born again, you won't even see it. John chapter four verse three, and again Jesus said to the woman at the well in Sychar of Samaria, because she's concerned about where to worship. Is it on this mountain or is it on that mountain? You Jews say Mount Zion is a place to worship. We we worship down here. And Jesus said to her, the hour is coming and it is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Yes, Mary Mary's soul soul life exalted in the Lord. Her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. So Mary worshiped God in the realization of this spiritually renewed life coming into reality through the child in her womb, in the response of her soul, that is mind conceiving and ascribing greatness to God, and her spirit, her new nature, motivating that worship, magnified the Lord. Magnifying here is, the present, is a present tense verb which shows continuous action. She did it all the time. Making God great. That's not the deal. She, her, her, our, our worship does not make God great. Her magnifying did not make God great. But she magnifies the Lord in recognizing and inscribing the greatness that God already has, seeing it and recognizing it, and thus glorifying Him in it. And then Mary rejoiced. This verb is past tense, indicating a one-time action. It's a very strong word describing Full out emotional exulting in the Lord. Whew. Oh, to worship Him was just this full out emotional praise and adoration for who He really is. And this was her. Ex- Reaction to the announcement that the angel had given to her. Mary, and, so Mary, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. And that motivated her worship. She was exulting in God her Savior. Had not the angel informed her that she would call the, the name of this child Jesus? And Jesus is the Hebrew form of the word Yeshua which means Yahweh is Savior. Yahweh saves. He's my Savior. And thus Paul celebrated. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit renewed by salvation by grace and your soul your creature life and your body in which your soul spirit lives be blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ amen first thessalonians five twenty-two. now notice secondly here the occasion of mary's worship it was that god took notice of her She, that was a thing that just was beyond her wonder. He took notice of me. He looked on or gazed with rapt attention. This notice is set against her situation, humble, the humble estate of his servant. And the word servant there is uh, is the feminine Greek, which. Indicates a handmaid, a female slave. She says, I'm nothing but a slave. I'm just a handmaid. I'm a female slave. Verse number 48. This phrase indicates one of poverty and obscurity in the society. And that coordinates there with Paul there in... First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:26-29 when he addresses the Corinthian believers for consider your calling brothers how not many might of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were noble of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong and God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's Mary's attitude. It also suggests that she was the object of contempt and neglect, as was Leah, The wife of Jacob, who was not considered loved. Or Hannah, who had no children and was despised by Elkanah's other wife. And David. say, David? Yeah. Remember when they went to the feast? And all the boys, the big, all the... Top sons were paraded before Samuel. And Samuel then asks uh, after the Lord said no to all of them. He said, "Uh, don't you have another son? Oh, yeah. There's David. Ah, but he's just out taking care of the sheep. (laughs) He was despised by his own family. And I think that was Mary's place also. But more importantly, she recognized her being a sinner in Adam's condemned race. And and as a consequence of this attention, she said she rejoiced. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. There in verse 48. Now, again, don't misread this glorious truth here presented. Mary was praising God for his greatness, not that she was the object of his notice. Her condition merely accented the greatness of His work by the contrast of her condition. He who is mighty has done great things for me. That's God. Holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Verses 49 and 50. So now let's turn our attention to Mary's celebration. Mary's celebration. This we find in verses 50 to, 51 to 55. First of all, it was a celebration of redemption. Celebrating God's work of redemption. And redemption here is shorthand for God's work of restoration renewal of all things. This work is described by the use of seven verbs in the aorist tense. And here again, very similar to Hannah's. And these verbs are prophetic declarations. Note verse 55, who says, As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So notice here these these, uh, declarations of what the gospel will accomplish, both in grace and judgment. Number one, he has shown the strength of his arm. God did it. Salvation has nothing to do with, with my awakening to realization that I'm a sinner and that I need God and, and me, me, me. uh God has shown the strength of his arm. Two, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Ah, foolishness. The world calls the gospel foolishness. And Paul says it's God's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. Yeah, he scattered the proud in their in the thoughts of their hearts. Thirdly, he brought down the mighty from their thrones. Boy, he has a way of humbling us. We sit on the thrones of our pride and our importance. And oh, when he comes and convicts us of our sins, he reduces us to groveling. Yes, yeah. and one of the, one of these first days, he's going to bring the uh, mighty down from their throne, from their physical thrones as well in judgment. Fourthly, and here the verb is supplied. He has exalted. Those of humble estate. He's chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. And he made it very clear that it is the meek who will inherit the kingdom. And then number five. or He has filled the hungry with good things he knows how to satisfy the longing heart which he created I mean he made it long then he fills it with good things and then number six the rich he sent. He has sent away empty that's judgment again and then finally number seven he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and she's thinking of the Old Testament Prophetic context. He's helped Israel. Now. I would remind you here. That, num- that the number seven. Is the number of completion. And perfection. Seven things. That the Lord is going to do. In this gospel age. And then. Uh, note here again. Fifty four. Fifty four. He has helped his servant. And again, consider here how Paul has redefined what Israel means in this gospel age. In Romans chapter 9, when they rejected Jesus, uh, some said, well, it looks like God's word failed on this matter. Paul said, no, the word of God has not failed or fallen to the ground. And then he gives a reason. He explains. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So yeah, Israel had some children that uh, aren't, aren't Israelites. But then he continues. Not all who are descended physically from Israel are, are belong to Israel. In other words, many are going to face judgment. And not all the children of Abraham are children because they are his offspring. Huh? Just because you can claim Abraham in your DNA, your lineage, doesn't mean that you are his children. Why? Children of the flesh. This means, Paul says... Uh, it, it, because they are his, uh, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he explained that not offsprings many, but one, even Christ. And then he continues here. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the offspring. And who are they? Well, he closes that portion there in verse 24 by saying, Even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And then in... Uh, this is Romans uh, 9, 6-8 to 8, and verse 24. And again, those who are of faith are the sons of abraham this is in galatians and here's a number of references selected references in galatians listen to these it is not those who of faith who are the sons of abraham excuse me it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham And then he recalls the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and verse 3, and concludes, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither bo- male nor female. For we you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I don't know how you can get any clearer than that. The Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. The Jews were looking for the Jerusalem on earth. Paul said, that's not the important one. The the important one is the one above and she's free and she is our mother. Now, you Gentile brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise, but... Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision, Jewish, counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, Gentile, but a new creation. That's what Christ came to do. A new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule... Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Wow. See, that's Mary's prayer. Her praise. So this work of restoration will overthrow the expectations of men. There in verses 51 and 52, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud through the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And as we are looking at the terrible things that are happening in our age and across our the globe, and then right here in our own country. Are you afraid? Are you fearful? Threats of war loom on the horizon. Does that disturb you? Are you frustrated with the trend of things, with the wickedness you see all around? Are you filled rather with a glorious hope and anticipation that he will soon bring all things into their victorious consummation by the strength of his arm? He's already shown the strength of His arm and He's going to show it again. And He will scatter the proud in, their, in the thoughts of their hearts. And He will bring down the mighty from their thrones and exalt His humble servants. So that causes Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58 to exclaim, Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, here's our our admonition for this morning. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. Has Christ done this work of grace in your heart? Can you from the depths of your being praise God like Mary prayed? My soul magnifies the Lord, continually magnifies the Lord over and over again, daily, hourly, moment by moment magnifies the Lord. And my spirit is overwhelmed with emotion of my Savior of the praise of my Savior has he elevated you to his kingdom service? Ah uh, oh, we're so preoccupied with our own business that we'd forget that the Lord has called us to kingdom service. Oh I close with the opening words again of Mary's Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. Father, thank you. Thank you for this glorious work of Mary of Mary's by the spirit of God that she formed this and it's expressed and only here in the Gospel of Luke is do we find these words and when we read them our soul it, it is caught up in the rapture of them and pr- in the praise and adoration of Mary's God who is our God and I trust is it the God of everyone who is present here Father search us and know us And Lord, no matter how dark may be the day, we have the glorious light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that shines down to us continually and enables us to be transformed and not, not fearful, but rejoicing in our God. We close with this, Lord. And we thank you for it.